So Esther chapter 5, it's a book about the hidden hand of God, which is just be, the fact that it's hidden doesn't mean that it's not really loud and noticeable. So uh, Dan quoted 1 Corinthians 13, which says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, and that's 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And then the latter part of the verse says, Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And just think about that for a while. That in heaven, our awareness of the hand of God we will know him as much as he knows us now. He knows about every single thought that we, that we think. And we will become aware of who he is and what he is doing in such a clear way that it will, it will be said that, again, that we shall, we shall know him and know our surroundings and know the truth just as we are known now by him. Is everyone following me? That's, that is quite a hope to have in the future, a wonderful hope that we see in a mirror dimly lit now, but then we will see face to face and we will, we will get it Right now, our knowledge of who God is and our ability to see his hand is just so restricted by our minds, our body, our sin, and this kind of thing. I shared with the church a few weeks ago, just going down for a celebration of the 30th anniversary of the church in the city of Miami Beach where we had come to that church two months, two or three months after it started and I became an assistant pastor there, and we—it's where I look. It's where I was introduced to Calvary Chapel, and I just happened to be uh, given a place or offered a place, which is was on the 27th floor, overlooking the very next, right next door, the building next door, about 15 floors down, was the top of it. It was a much shorter building. The building that we had walked into driven into 30 years ago and then soon after we drove in someone left a Calvary Chapel card on my mother's window was visiting us and I looked in front of me and there was the Calvary the block where the Calvary Chapel was at the very beginning and then another block where um, another block where the church moved to and then right in front of me was the hospital that two of my my, my daughters uh, were born at, although one didn't make it to the hospital. Uh, she did make it to the hospital, but but out of the womb. Uh, but anyway, I, the Lord was, I was able to see this incredible gift that the Lord had given me. He had put me in this place at this time just to tell me how happy he has been with my family's faithfulness for the last 30 years, which is a hard thing to think of considering all the mistakes and flaws in my life, but the point being is 
there will come a day when we will see the hand of God much more easily than that. I mean, I could have just easily missed it. I could have just easily had my Bible study there on the 27th floor, never noticed a thing, come back to Boston and not realize that God had done this uh, tremendous thing. I'm convinced that we have very poor eyesight in terms of seeing what the hand of God is doing in our life on a day-to-day basis. There will be a time where we will know even as we're known, but the book of Esther is a book about the hand of God. The Jews were in a time where many of them had gone back to Jerusalem. They had been exiled to Babylon. Many thousands of them had gone back to Jerusalem. Some had stayed behind, including this family, Mordecai and his cousin who he raised, Esther, King Ahasuerus, the Persian king, had basically deposed his own wife, chosen another one. It was Esther. Through He chose her through really an outrageous process. And I'm sure, you know, he, he basically slept with many, many women, and he just, was, just he wanted to choose one to be, uh, to be queen. And I'm sure in the middle of it, no one can, people were thinking, what good can become of this? This is just awful. What good can become of this? Not knowing that that linchpin verse in the Bible, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, God works all things for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that the Lord is actually going to use that really ugly, gruesome process of choosing a queen to be glorified. And, and uh, the prime minister, the second, in, the second in command of the emperor at the time, Haman, was a man who was a Jew hater. It appears that he was a Malachite who uh, had a history of hating the Jews. He's called an Agagite, but King Agag was a, a Malachite ruler. And uh, the Lord was going to use this gruesome process of choosing a queen to save the Jews. Because this man who was in power, he was a man similar to Hitler who basically uh, passed a decree, and we've already seen that happen, that all the Jews would be killed. And so that's where we left off. And in chapter 5, at this point, the emperor does not know that his wife is a Jew. In fact, he doesn't even know that the decree which he signed was a decree to kill all the Jews. He just was told there's a certain people. They don't like your laws. They violate your laws. And Haman told them, I think they should all be killed. So Haman writes up a decree to kill them. But the emperor at this time doesn't even know that he signed a decree, that the, 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 the decree that he signed was specifically to kill the Jews. And he doesn't know that his wife is Jewish. And it says in chapter 5, verse 1, Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house. 
while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. So remember from last week, he had signed this decree. It had been posted in all the cities, including the, uh, uh, the, the city of, of Shushan, where Esther's cousin Mordecai lived. This cousin was an older cousin. He had raised her. He let her know, here, this is what is going on. We're all going to be killed. You need to go into the king, the emperor, and ask him to undo this terrible law that he has issued. And Esther's response was, listen, anyone who goes into the king's presence without permission, verse 11, chapter 4, they are put to death without exception unless he holds out the golden scepter. And so, um, and she pointed out to him, I haven't even been, he hasn't even called me in 30 days. So she hadn't even seen him in 30 days. So she doesn't know what's going to happen. Mordecai says to her, listen, if you don't do this, you're going to be killed, and deliverance will come through some other person. Verse 14 says, Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so, verse five, chapter 5, verse 1, she, uh, she has agreed at the end of chapter 4 to go into the, uh, to the king, ask that everyone fast for the Jews, rather, fast for... Uh, three days, and she goes in. She stands at the inner court, doesn't know what's going to happen, sort of just by faith goes in. The Lord is going to bring you from time to time to this very place where you need to, by faith, just face your fears and go right into them. Just break right on through, face your fears, Say, Lord, my life is in your hands, but this is clearly what you want me to do. And verse 2 says, So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in her hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. So he knows that she's there to make a request because no one in their right mind would go into the king's presence without being called unless they had a really, really, really good reason. Uh, this reminds me, it's a similar line to when Herod, uh, the, um, the, the wife of his, uh, rather the daughter of his um, wife was dancing and uh, he had apparently had too much to drink and the dance was so good he he made a similar entreaty to her what do you want I'll give you up to half your kingdom something similar to that and the good chance he's boozed up at this point the king says what do you want half of your kingdom you know I, over the years, I've advertised my favorite devotional. It's a guy by the name of Bogatsky and written in the 1700s. I'm, 
I'm in it now for the eighth time. It's a 365 devotional. And uh, he actually quotes this verse, or he may quote Herod. You know, what do you want? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. And he just makes the point, um, Blagotsky does, that God's better. He offers you the whole kingdom. He offers you the whole thing. And he quotes 1 Corinthians 4, 21, I believe, which just says this, all things are yours. And then there's another verse, Romans 8, 32, which says, um, for if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how much more will he together with him give you all things? But drunk emperors, they, they, they only offer half. So he, um, he, he's apparently, he, he's, he's drunk here. He's not in his right mind. I'll give you half of the kingdom. What do you want? And verse 4, Esther answered him, if, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. And Esther answered and said, my petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Verse 9, so Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he did not stand or tremble before him. He was filled with indignation against Mordecai. So, uh, Remember, this was the, the beginning of all the, pro, the, the, of the problem, right? Uh, Haman, uh, when he was given second command of the whole empire, uh, Mordecai refused to bow down to him, probably because he wants to obey the second commandment, which says don't bow down to anything other than the Lord. Mordecai is so enraged, he comes up with this decree to kill all the Jews, and the decree is passed, but this doesn't make him any happier. He's still furious that Mordecai does not even stand up or tremble before him. Verse 10, nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. When Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him um, above the officials and the servants of the king. So he's just boasting, and people are sort of gawking at him. It occurred to me on, after Sunday morning when I was speaking about how Jesus humbled himself. It says in John chapter 6 that the people, after they were fed, with five loaves, thousands and thousands of them were fed with five loaves and two fish that um, they tried to forcibly make Jesus king. And what did Jesus do? He humbled himself. And what he did was he went up to a mountain and just prayed to God all by himself. And I was regretting after that, that message that I didn't, I didn't, 
add to that, expand upon that, that, you know, when, when, you're, when, when, you, when you feel pride rising in your heart and you're feeling like, yeah, the praise of man, I really like the praise of man, go to God and he'll tell you how happy he is with you because that's, that's what a good father does. A good father tells you how happy you are with him. Of course, that depends upon you know if you're if you're walking in obedience with joy. But but uh, but that's what that's what we do. Philippians chapter two: we humble ourselves like Jesus when we're too much, we're getting too full of ourselves. Well, this guy was full of himself. He's telling him all of all his great riches, the multitudes of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him. Verse twelve. Moreover, Haman said, besides Queen Esther. Uh, invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared, and tomorrow I am in, again invited by her along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. So he loved to boast, but he had this, uh, this, this one issue, this one guy didn't like him, and it was just ruining his his joy verse 14 then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him let a gallows be made 50 cubits high and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it then go merrily with the king to the banquet and the thing pleased Haman so he had the gallows made 70 feet high, 75 feet high, which is 50 cubits. And uh, the idea was to have Mordecai hang there, although if you look at the commentators, they, there's no such thing as hanging amongst the Persians. He would have been impaled, which uh, I'll spare you of describing what that is, but it's really awful. But uh, this is what his wife and his friends told him to do. Just kill the guy and then... Go to the banquet, and you'll be, you'll have a happy, happy time. You'll be a happy man. Chapter six. That night, the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. If you remember, the end of chapter 2, Mordecai, who sat at the king's gate, discovered a plot, two eunuchs, to kill the king and reported it to the king, and these two eunuchs were put to death. But no reward was given to Mordecai at that time. It wasn't God's timing. It was God's timing. God has his time. He's, he's always on time. We often want him to show up earlier than would be appropriate. Maybe Esther or Mordecai was thinking, man, why, did, why isn't he rewarding Mordecai? This doesn't seem fair. Well, God had a better plan, and he has a better plan for you. If you're thinking, this thing in my life needs to happen now. It needs to happen now, now, now. No, it's because it's not God's timing. This is the perfect timing. God has a perfect timing for however it is he wants to bless you. 
verse 3 says, Then the king said, What honor or dignity had been and has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. So the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servants said to him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Haman thought in his heart, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? This is not Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 in action, or no, 3 through 8 in action here, a man humbling himself. Nope, this is not that man. This is a man who is incredibly full of himself. We have it all in our hearts, the capacity to be like this. Thank God the Lord humbles us. Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Wow. Verse 7, and Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let, the, his, then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hands of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse, as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who sits without, within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. So just as an aside, at this point, again, it does not appear at all that the king knows that that the decree that he signed was to kill all the Jews. Haman had kept that from him. Even though the, the de somehow the decree that was posted around the empire made that clear, but not uh, the, the, the king. And it, it's, it's scary, right? This is why secular historians, you read secular history, this guy eventually was assassinated. I mean, he, he was not a good emperor. But he found out he was a Jew, that Mordecai was a Jew, from these records that he had read to him when he couldn't get to sleep at the beginning of this chapter. So um, otherwise, obviously, he wouldn't be honoring Mordecai in this way. And so verse 11, so Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback throughout the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. So I got to tell you, the Lord knows how to do his business. He really, really does. That's why that verse that is throughout the Old Testament, wait on the Lord. Psalm 25, verse 3, it's a life verse of mine. Indeed, no one who waits on the Lord will be put to shame. So important to wait on the Lord. Don't get ahead of him. He knows how to do his job. He really, really does. So now Mordecai is going around on a horse. Haman is leading him. Verse 12, after Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman 
hurried to the house mourning and his head covered when Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but you will surely fall before him. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. So, uh, the Lord was making things so clear. Remember, this is a very unusual book. The name of God is never mentioned, but what you do see is the hand of God throughout this book. You see the hand of God, but not the name of God. And it's, God is not silent, and he is so loud that even the pagans, even the exceedingly wicked pagans, can see that God is doing something here. Haman, his days are numbered. And even the wicked people around him can see that. Chapter 7, so the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request up to half the kingdom? It shall be done. This guy had a bottle of wine next to him at all times. I'm convinced. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. In other words, let me not be killed and let my people not be killed. Verse 4, For we have been sold my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemies could never compensate for the king's loss. So she's saying, if, you know, if, if we had been, if this decree, she's referring to a decree, the decree that had been made to kill all the Jews, Man, if it was just to make us slaves, I would have held my peace. But then she says there at the very end, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss, I got to tell you, when you have a holy people, a righteous people, and they're stamped out or removed, that has profound effect on a nation. And as someone who's a history major, and I love history, some of the guys and I just read a book on Christian history, and I think it was Louis the Fourteenth, I think it was, in the late 1600s, made a decree making it illegal to be a born-again Christian, a Protestant, and there was a vast uh, uh, just persecution of Protestants. They... Thousands and thousands were killed, but many more thousands, we're talking um, tens of thousands, left the country, and they came to the United States, also to Australia. But at France, really, um, it was their loss, and, and, and they were tremendously, tremendously uh, 
disadvantaged by that loss of godly people. And all I have to do is look at the next 200, 250 years and, and what happened to the, in America, to Great Britain, to Germany, and these other, in, uh, the Netherlands, Holland, and Scandinavia, um, which uh, either invited Christians or the, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, grew and was encouraged and, and, and it thrived. But here, so she says at the very end, listen, if you make us slaves, at the very end of verse 4, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss, whether you make them slaves or, or, or if you kill them, the, this country is going to be tremendously disadvantaged uh, by doing that. And that's the case. It's always been the case when God's people um, are persecuted. Verse 5, so King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before uh, Queen Esther pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. So the king leaves, and I'm convinced he leaves here because he doesn't, he now, it now dawns on him what he did. He signed a decree to kill all the Jews. Up until now, he doesn't know the Jews, which include his own wife. And he's like so shook, like what on earth have I gotten myself into? So he leaves the room. But verse 8 says, when the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. And then the king said, will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? So I guess he was pleading with her, begging with her. You know, in, she was on a couch just begging her on his knees uh, on the couch, and uh, the king comes in and sees this. And then at the end of verse 8, as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now Harbana, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. Chapter 8, on that day, I, I tell you, the hand of the Lord is, is, is just amazing to me. And, and again, I, I just go, going back again to something I had mentioned in a message, just... This last weekend was so amazing to me because I shared with the whole church this going to the Handel's Messiah and the one scene that I've ever seen on planet Earth that looks to me similar to Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, where it says that, in, in that, G, that God has given Jesus the name above every other name and at some day, some day, Every mouth in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, meaning if you believe in Jesus or not, meaning all the unbelievers will still confess. They will still bow the knee to Jesus and confess that he's Lord. And the one scene that I've seen similar to that 
is the scene in the Boston Symphony where the Hallelujah Chorus is sung, which is just the song that says, Our Lord God Almighty reigns, King of King and Lord of Lords. And everyone has a choice whether to stand up, but again, last Saturday night, everyone in that place stood up, over 99%. I was just looking around, and there was like fear and respect. There was not uh, like a respect, a fearful respect. Like I, I asked my daughter Grace about it. I go, what did you think of all these people standing? They're not even Christians. They're st because the rest of this three-hour performance, they're all, everyone sits down for, for this one song where the chorus is singing at the top of their lungs, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords and hallelujah, our God omnipotent reigns. They have a choice to stand up, but for whatever reason, they're standing up and my daughter Grace says, I don't know, it just, I, I, I don't even think they knew why they were standing up because she was looking around wondering the same thing. But it was just amazing to me that the next day I'm preaching on these three verses of the one scene in the Bible where, which is quoting, it's, it is quoting Isaiah 45, so, but the one scene in the Bible where you have that taking place where unbelievers, who otherwise they don't care about God, they're cursing God, they, they ignore God, they're standing up and they're respecting God, I'm preaching on it the next day. And again, it's like, God, open my eyes to what you're doing in my life every day because it's such a blessing when I can see you at work in my life. When, and, and pray to the Lord for that. Now we see it as in a mirror dimly lit. But I got to tell you, if we seek the Lord and ask him to open our eyes to what he is doing in our life, increasingly you will see the hand of God. Because his hand is in your life. He's, it, the hand of the Lord is on your life. Every day he's doing things. He's bringing in people. He's conversations, circumstances that he, he's working. And, and here we have it. The Lord is just, his hand is, is so clear throughout this book, though his name is not mentioned. Chapter 8, on that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman. She winds up getting the prime minister's house, the enemy of the Jews. See, he was an enemy of the Jews. Even before Mordecai, the beginning of the book, even before Mordecai, at the beginning of the book, refused to kneel, and he got enraged and had this decree passed to kill all the Jews. He hated Jews. And we don't have time now, but if you want to look at, at, at the history of World War II and the series of miracles. I have this book someone gave me, and there's a whole bunch of these stories of the miracles that, that, um, that happened in World War II to overthrow a modern-day Haman, Hitler. It's remarkable how the Lord just, he has his way to... Um, to, to save his people, though clearly that was a, a horrifying judgment uh, that happened under Hitler. But I, um, uh, it says he, he was the hater of the Jews. 
the enemy of the Jews. And then middle of the verse, and Mordecai came before the king, verse 1, for Esther had um, told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and if I found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his sight, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see this evil that will come upon my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my country?